This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. The BC's coroner service released a report last week about suspected illicit drug deaths. Over 2,500 people passed away last year in suspected overdoses. Garth Mullins has more on the issue of the opioid crisis, the overdose crisis, and safe supply. Garth is the host of the Crackdown podcast. He's also a board member of the Vancouver Area Network of Drug Users. Hey, Garth, thank you for making time this morning to talk about this really important issue. Hey, Dave, thanks for having me. So BC's coroner, Lisa LaPointe, specifically pointed to fentanyl in her report. How much is fentanyl driving this issue? Uh, the vast majority of the overdoses have uh, the cause detected by the coroner of fentanyl and uh, not like the kind they use at the hospitals, but the kind that comes off the street with lots of unknown constituents and unknown potency. And that's what's really killing people is they don't know whether they're getting something that's really, really strong or somewhere in the middle. So they just don't know uh, if it's going to knock them out or kill them or what's going to happen. There's been a lot of conversation about safe supply in the last week in mainstream media, but it's certainly been a conversation for the better part of a couple of years now. Where is safe supply in terms of a solution to some of the issues that are popping up right now? In safe supply is a demand that came from us, uh, people like me who've been uh, drug users for most of our lives and started to form organizations and movements to stop the deaths. So our movements came up with the idea several years ago, and we, we recognized that safe supply, which is basically uh, substituting pharmaceutical drugs for the street drugs, um, we recognized that that was the thing that was going to stop the deaths because, uh, you know, kicking drugs, quitting, all that stuff, it's a good aspiration. doesn't work for a lot of people, and if it does, it can take many tries and many years, and when the drug supply is toxic, people can die within that time. So right now, Safe Supply is still mostly an idea. It's a small pilot project. Maybe 5% of the people uh, who need it are getting some kinds of uh, prescriptions like this. But unfortunately, we're a long way from having those kind of programs that could really stop the deaths uh, in British Columbia or across Canada. What are some of the templates that might exist in regard to providing safe supply? Because it's certainly not a brand new idea globally, but it feels like one that Canada's only really grappled with in the last couple of years. So what are some of the templates and what are some of the challenges in creating an effective safe supply program? Well, some of the templates I think of, uh, you know, I was in Geneva just in October, and Switzerland has a prescription heroin program. So they just, they don't have the overdose situation that we have at all. Uh, they have very small, negligible number of overdoses. And uh, that's because if you are wired to, say, heroin or uh, opioid like that, in Geneva, you can go to a clinic and get prescribed pharmaceutical-grade heroin, uh, lots of people 
uh, you know, take up that offer and are able to, you know, have a regular life, go to work, everything else like that. Uh, So to me, that's the, the, and that's been going for a very long time. There's other states, other governments that do that sort of thing. Uh, But here uh, in Canada, we've seemed, we've, this has become very politicized and controversial instead of being sort of a a boring medical uh, thing with a boring medical clinic. Yeah, how much of stigmatization ends up affecting that politicization and not understanding how this issue ends up impacting people from all different walks of life? I think the stigma is a big part of it. And certainly there's politicians that have always... Uh, love to try to get into power by scaring people or scapegoating, uh, you know, groups of marginalized folks. And we see that happening in Canada uh, periodically, especially in the last, you know, two years or so, there's been a real uptick of it. And anytime you get that kind of scapegoating, any any solutions that would be um, regularly discussed just through the evidence for and against us suddenly it's a big controversial um fear-based discussion instead of just something that's about the the facts or the evidence there's also uh, a lot of holistic things that can be done here i think about the issue of housing uh, as a big one mental health services as another what's the bigger picture in terms of addressing some of the core issues here well, I mean, for me, the biggest thing, the first thing we have to address is death. And uh, I've just lost so many uh, friends, people I care about, that that's where it has to start. And um, the beginning of all of this is is stopping the deaths. And that means uh, separating people from the toxic drug supply. Canada had experiments with alcohol prohibition over 100 years ago. And what we found is... It created organized crime, you know, Al Capone type people, and it also created moonshine and bootleggers and that the moonshine uh, often became contaminated and killed or made lots of people very sick. And when we stopped doing that, we stopped having organized crime involved in alcohol prohibition, and we stopped having people uh, dying from alcohol poisoning of an afternoon. Uh, So... That change has to come to drugs. And I know it sounds a little bit radical, but it's been a long time coming. Drugs have been illegal in Canada since uh, 1907 is when it started. It started amid a big wave of racist panic, you know, sort of anti-Chinese, anti-Japanese politics and backlash that was going on. And so we need to do what we did with alcohol. We need to end prohibition, end the drug war, stop sending people to jail over it. Um, stop having people in the thousands die over it and have an adult conversation about how to organize society. Because right now there's no rules. It's the Wild West. There's no regulation over those drugs. I think we should bring them under regulation, make sure the contents are known, make sure that people can't just mix them up somewhere in a secret lab and sell whatever they want. Uh, we We should actually rein this all in. Garth, like you said, and I don't want to lose sight of it, ultimately this is a story about people. It's an issue that dramatically impacts people. But there's also people who are working to address it in real time, not just grappling with big ideas, but practical initiatives. So the Vancouver Area Network of Drug Users, what are some of the initiatives that are underway right now uh, to assist individuals? 
Well, we have fought for uh, over 25 years every drug policy reform that's really happened in this country. So from needle exchanges to safe injection sites to people being able to get uh, hep C treatment, um, we fought for all of those things. And, uh, you, you know, that means going into the streets and protesting, but also getting on those government committees and elbowing our way into those rooms and high offices. And uh, we've also been working more recently uh, for safe supply and decriminalization. So, I mean, that's the most one of the most important things that we can do on the you know individual level. We also run a small safe injection site uh, and we've reversed my God, hundreds of overdoses, thousands perhaps. Um, so we save lives pretty much every day around there and hand out harm reduction supplies. So we're going to you know, keep doing that kind of work. And just on the way out the door, your podcast, why'd you want to start a podcast? What do you explore, what do you explore on the show? Well, myself and uh, several other people, members of the Vancouver Area Network of Drug Users, we looked around um, about five years ago at the media representations and popular culture representations of drug users, and we realized it was pretty pretty stereotypy, pretty nasty, and that we could tell our stories better than a lot of people could. And so that's why we started the podcast, so that we could tell the stories from the trenches of the drug war and maybe try to change things. You know, that's not dissimilar to what we're doing here at AMI in regard to disability <laughs> and platforming disability. Nothing for us without us. And if uh, we don't get the opportunity to offer representation, then who will? Hey, Garth, I would love to catch up with you again down the road with any news developments. Thank you for taking some time today. Thank you to you and your colleagues for all the work that you're doing. Same back at you, Dave. Thanks very much. That's Garth Mullins, a board member of the Vancouver Area Network of Drug Users. For more information about their work, you can visit their website, V. A-N-D-U dot org. V-A-N-D-U dot org. Coming up after the break, an opportunity to, uh, well, lighten the mood a little bit. I guess the topic's kind of about greenwashing. So mildly lighter, but not really. When Alex Smith brings a story about Toyota lying about some of their emissions... I'll weigh in, Ramya Amuthan will weigh in, as will Nazreen Abdel-Majid. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on AMI-tv. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.